beta histine and also vestibular rehabilitations. So this is also commonly tested that for prevention, what are your goals and what is that you give. So beta histine is mainly given for prevention. You can have a case of a perforated eardrum. So perforated eardrum mainly heals by itself within six to eight weeks. And it is not recommended to refer anywhere before it because it is, um, it is considered as an inappropriate use of the NHS resources. However, that being said, you cannot leave uh, an um, perforated eardrum beyond 12 months and you need to refer that after it's 12 months. So you have to prevent from long-term consequences, uh, complications. Um, then you will have a patient who presents with uh, chronic psoriasis and they can ask about, he recently had a medication which had led to worsening of his psoriasis. So what medications can really cause, um, can really worsen the psoriasis plagues? So beta blockers, lithium, antimalarial, NSAIDs, TNF-alpha inhibitors. So all these drugs can really worsen the psoriasis plagues. In cases of uncomplicated acute sinusitis, antibiotics are not indicated. This is again commonly tested topic. So you need to know about when you have to give the sinus, when you have to give the antibiotic, which I'm going to talk in a few seconds. Um, Otitis externa, again, is, is commonly tested topic, especially in diabetes. So for malignant otitis externa, it's mainly you give IV ciprofloxacin and diagnosis is mainly based on the CT scan. Now in the CT scan, they can you can give you a scan or they can talk about a destruction of the temporal bone or mastoid or even inflammation of facial canal, something like that. And then they will give you about like uh, there is a debris and the in the external ear artery and quite painful external artery meters. Um, so, so all these are clues which can give you diagnosis of, um, which can help you with the diagnosis of otitis externa. And treatment is mainly, if it's a malignant one, is mainly the ciprofloxacin. Um, for mild condition, you can give topical antibiotics with some steroids, uh, with a combination of steroids. Again, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome is again commonly tested topic, and it is caused by the reactivation of Vercella zoster in the geniculate ganglion of the seventh cranial nerve. Oral acyclovir for seven days and prednisolone for five days is mainly given. Full recovery is likely if the treatment is started within the 72 hours of the symptoms onset. Again, nice indications for antibiotics are mainly when you have features of um, marked systemic upset, secondary to an acute sore throat. You have unilateral peritonsillitis, acute, a history of a or even a history of rheumatic fever and increased risk from acute infections such as a child with diabetes or immunodeficiency. Patients with acute sore throat, acute pharyngitis or tonsillitis when it's like more than three of the center criteria. Now center scoring system is commonly tested. You, there are four components of center criteria. So the first one is the presence of tonsillar exudate, then it's the anterior cervical lymphadenopathy or lymphadenitis. You can have a history of fever, the third one, or the absence of cough. So each one is scored as one point. So if you have like more than three, then likely the antibiotics are given in those situations.
Okay, and then uh, there will be few things which uh, you'll be tested. Uh, so you can be asked about again the initial management of Titus externa. So in cases of mild uh, Titus externa, you can give a topical antibiotics or combined topical antibiotics with steroids. If um, there is perforation of the lymphatic membrane, then sometimes you may not give aminoglycosides, but again, it all depends on the scenario. So a lot of ENT surgeon, ENT team, they don't give aminoglycosides in those cases. If there is a canal debris, then consider removal. If the canal is extensively swollen, where you cannot apply the topical antibiotics, you can give what we call it an earwig. So this is again tested um, in the, on the exam. Um, coming over to the um, few of the drugs which can commonly induce toxic epidermal necrolysis. Now, these drugs again commonly tested such as the phenytoin, sulfonamides, allopurinol, penicillins, carmazepines, and NSAIDs. They're not going to talk about these um, drugs straight away or they will ask you questions straight away. So they will give you a scenario where there is a young guy who has tried this medication for some, some, some illness, underlying condition, and then he suddenly has developed this rash and associated with some uh, hemodynamic instability and this is a severe rash which is involving more than 30% of your skin so they can give you an, an history of epilepsy so if it's phenytoin sulfonamide they can give you a bit of urea kind of histories of allopurinol so you have to just keep in mind whenever you're dealing with these scenarios these are not straight straight away um, questions or answers but it it is all based in the scenario so drugs to be again known to cause uh, Toxic epidermal necrolysis, phenytoin, sulfonamides, allopurinol, penicillins, carmazepine, and NSAIDs. Um, then coming over to the few uh, things and few questions which are mainly dependent and all about the referrals to the ENT. So if you have unilateral symptoms, if you have persistent symptoms um, such as you have a unilateral polyps or you have a unilateral blood stain discharge coming out, these are always suspicious of cancer. So in all those cases, you refer to ENT. And also for the epistaxis, you also refer to the ENT. Now, these are red flags. If all the, all the symptoms, unilateral symptoms, are red flags for patients, even with for chronic rhinosinusitis. So in, in all these situations, you have to refer to ENT. Um, there's a very common rash in cases of acute rheumatic fever, called it as erythema marginatum. This is mainly an annular erythematous macules and it has a central clearance. So this is again a very typical description of this rash. These are all commonly found in patients with uh, acute rheumatic fever. These are not itchy or painful or maybe it can be symptomatic or asymptomatic depending on the condition. So moving on to the next uh, questions, it's like about um, generalized acquired hypertrichosis versus hirsutism. So you need to know a bit of difference about these two. So hirsutism basically only in female onset at the puberty or the later stage. Uh, you have this um, male hair pattern distribution and these are dependent on the androgen. So androgen dependent sites, whereas hypertrichosis can happen um, anywhere, mainly in the areas which are not dependent on androgens. Um, this is independent of age and it can affect both male and female. So there's a bit of difference between these two. For generalized acquired hypertrichosis, it can be associated with porphyria cutaneous tarda, 
malnutrition in for example in anorexia nervosa can be malignancies certain drugs that can cause for example cyclosporine phenytoin androgenic steroids and minoxidil so you have to be aware of these drugs now this is not commonly tested but they can ask um, on the exam and they can give you maybe a photo or something like uh, or just a general description about which drug or maybe a little bit of scenario of porphyria cutaneous tardia and associated complications so it can come in either ways um, for assessment of hirsutism you need to know a scoring system so this is um, called as ferryman galway now this is um, not commonly used but still a scoring system uh, uh, for the sake of exam, so you have like nine different areas and each area is assigned a different score. So it's from zero to four. So if you have a total score of more than 15, it is considered as a moderate to severe hirsutism. Um, coming over to the next uh, question, sometimes you can ask about Samter's triad. Now, this is again a very descriptive kind of questions, are very volatile and sometimes you can tend to forget. So this is actually an association of asthma, aspirin, sensitivity and nasal polyps. So when you have these three things, you know you call it as Samter's triad. Um, persistent sore throat in a patient with smoking history uh, should be referred under the two-week two-week wait to ENT. So this is the urgent criteria to ENT to ENT to investigate for malignancy. Um, so again, you have to look into the history of smoking uh, because smoking can lead to had a neck malignancy as well it can lead to lung cancers and all those things so again um, the duration for again as i said it's two weeks for a suspected cancer pathway um, laryngeal cancer again is considered a suspected cancer pathway referral uh, for laryngeal cancer patients who are aged more than 45 and they also present with persistent unexplained hoarseness or if there is an unexplained lump in the neck. So this is the end of the first um, or the second podcast. And uh, um, I hope you guys have learned. And if you like this kind of content, so just uh, you can comment or just email me. And I'm going to um, make some more of these podcasts so that whenever you're near to your exam, you can just listen to this podcast so that you can get to know about the high yield stuff and i wish you all the best